Well, good morning. Um, hey, while I'm thinking of it, a reminder of the offering today was for Mark Smith, for Mark and Tammy. And I know when we set it for this Sunday, we didn't realize so many were going to be gone. So I think what we'll do, and Robert's not here either, so he won't be sending it right away. I'll probably put a note on the um, email for those that weren't here. They can still get it to Robert, and, and um, he'll wait for that. But we've been praying for your dad. And, uh, I know he's up against some. It's no fun to be sick and not be able to, to work. That's, all right. <clears throat> Let's open with a word of prayer. Father, we are gathered here together to worship you and to look into your word. Pray that you would give us understanding and as we go from here how to live for you and in our day. This our time. And thank you for the encouragement so far this morning. And um, help us to remember and give us strength. Thank you for your protection in the past week and be with each one that's traveling and <clears throat> this weekend. May you bless each family and bring them home safely. Lord Jesus, in your name I pray. Amen. Well, I wanted to, it's kind of been on my heart since December when I was challenged um, to pray for revival, to share a message on revival. And I don't feel like I've really dug into the definition, what it is, um, all these, but I do want to look at it and spur us on to be praying for, be thinking about, and be preparing for revival. There have been great spiritual awakenings in the past where God moved and a society was changed. People that did not see God before saw God. That's a spiritual awakening. When we talk about revival, that's when the people of God who maybe their vision's gotten cloudy or like Jared was saying, we need to cut off some things. The stuff's no longer getting cut off. And God sweeps through and calls people back to him, back to a, um, a passion, that first love. And I know someone recently within the last month shared from Revelation on the first love. Maybe that was two months ago. I don't remember. And as I was studying this, I was like, you know, really, this is kind of a similar message. Um, <clears throat> so I want to call this a recipe for revival. As I thought about revival, what's my part in that? What's God's part? What does revival look like? <clears throat> As we were singing Amazing Grace this morning, I had to th think one of the definitions of revival, and maybe it is the definition, is the work of grace, of God's, God's work of grace in man's heart. God's work of grace in man's heart. So it is the work of God. I had to think of a of a um, the times in my life where I failed. I felt God impress something on me, and then 
for whatever reason, someone got mad at me, so I backed off and didn't do it. Was that God's fault that it didn't happen, or was it my fault? God showed me, but then I didn't follow through. And so I think even in revival, we play a part. God works, God prompts, am I going to follow through? <clears throat> so it's not just all God, and it's definitely not all of us. Revival is a move of God. Another thing about revival, I think revival happens when we have a fresh view of who God is. So I had to think, be thinking about this, you think about revival. Are there things that we can change? And as we look at the recipe for revival, how can we practically work this out as a group here? Um, So seeing God for who he is, and it's also a fresh view of seeing myself for who I am. The good and the bad and the ugly. I was, Wednesday night as we sat here and sang those songs, every one of those songs fit in with the topic of revival. And I was really blessed. That was a sweet time um, singing those songs. I had to think of a song this week. Well, a couple weeks ago, a song that kept running um, through my mind. It's out of the Psalms, but let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. A lot of things in, the, in those verses. Lord, let my thoughts and let what comes out of my mouth be acceptable to you. And God is my strength, and God is my redeemer. I need strength from God, and I need a redeemer. All of us need strength from God, and we need a redeemer. God, you are, even David, I don't know if David wrote that psalm or not, but the psalmist recognized his need for God's strength and for redemption. In desperate times, God calls us to step out in faith. There is a man, I, I read the story um, of a man who, and I couldn't find it again, I, sometimes Google fails you, um, <clears throat> but about three years ago, he, he was a teacher of theology in Europe somewhere, I don't know what school, and he felt called to resign his job and moved to Kentucky and carry a sign promoting revival. And I'm assuming he talked to people, you know, but so for the last three years, he's been putting revival before people. There is a work as we step out in faith that God will have us do in preparation for what God wants to do three years from now or five years from now or 10 years from now. We don't, our position is we don't see what's going to happen. We don't know what's around the corner. We don't have perspective. Our, our position needs to be learning and knowing the voice of God to such a degree, a degree that we say, I know this is what God has told me to do, and I will step out, and I will do it. <clears throat> I 
all the revivals that we know of, stories can be told of God doing things like that. Um, and I didn't take the time to go back and read them, refresh them in my mind. But I remember, is it the New Hebrides revival? Um, I can't remember the name of that other revival. It was one of those where there was two ladies that were older, no longer had the health to go to church, but they spent their time praying. And this revival is known as a revival among young people. It, you know, they, they spent their time at the church. The community was impacted. Many people came to the Lord. That's one of the signs of a revival is that people are changed. Because when God moves on a person's life, they're changed. They can't be the same. So that is one of the fruits of revival. But if you look back, there was two ladies that were willing to spend their time in prayer, praying for that for how many years? Um, so that's a question. Am I willing to allow God to control my life? Am I willing to allow God to control my life? Because if I'm not, I am the hindrance to revival. I am the hindrance to a spiritual awakening. I am the hindrance to God moving. <clears throat> if I say, I'll go this far, but no farther. If I put a boundary and say, I'm not going to go beyond that, then I am the hindrance to God's work in these days. Why does revival tarry? Sometimes it tarries because it's not God's time yet. We can't force God's hand. But I, I think that many times it tarries, God tarries, because we are standing in the way. We are the hindrance. And God needs, is working on us. <clears throat> Turn with me to Psalm 95. I would like to read Psalm 95. In thinking about a recipe for revival. And I see five points in this psalm <clears throat> that I believe are a recipe for revival. <clears throat> This psalm is listed as a call to worship and praise to the Lord and a warning against unbelief. O come, let us sing unto the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before his presence with thanksgiving and make a joyful noise unto him with psalms. For the Lord is a great God and a great King above all gods. In his hand are the deep places of the earth. The strength of the hills is his also. The sea is his, and he made it, and his hands formed the dry land. O come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our Maker, for he is our God. And we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. Today, if you will hear his voice, harden not your heart, as in the provocation and as in the day of temptation in the wilderness. When your fathers tempted me, proved me, and saw my work, forty years long was I grieved with this generation, and said, It is a people that do err in their heart, and they have not known my ways, unto whom I swear in my wrath that they should not enter into my rest. <clears throat> so I want to see you, when you think about revival, and if you say, I forget what to do, 
or how do, what's my part in revival, think of Psalm 95. You can go back to Psalm 95 and say this is a recipe for revival and read it and remember. In verses 1 and 2, the first ingredient that I see is, O come, let us. O come, let us. It's a gathering together of God's people. And that is one thing that is difficult when we're in trouble. We can tend, as people, we can tend to isolate. Well, you know what? If you're going to feel that way about me, then I'm going to move over to somewhere else. I'm going to move to the backside of Alaska. I'm going to do something. But we tend to isolate. We draw away. And here, one of the first things, the first ingredient for revival is let us gather together. Let us sing. Let us shout with an enthusiastic heart. Can you say hallelujah? I was like, you know, I want a grandchild that's named hallelujah, so I say it more often, right? But no one's taking me up on it yet. Right? <clears throat> Still got chances here. <clears throat> God is our rock. We see that. He is the rock of our salvation. Come together and experience that together. That's an experience. It's also a theological truth. God is our rock. Come before, in verse 2 there, come before his presence with thanksgiving. When we sit here and sing, we're not just going into some empty space. There is a God, and we're coming into his presence. We are in his throne room. What do you envision as you sit here? This morning as Joshua started leading that first song, I had to close my eyes because I wanted to make sure that I was seeing God and rising above. Not you all, but (laughs) this world. We get so distracted. Come before his presence with thanksgiving and make a joyful noise unto him with psalms. You know, if someone starts saying hallelujah pretty loud and singing loud, I won't be offended. (laughs) That's not something that we'd get offended about. next section, verse 3 and 5, the next ingredient. Talk of God's greatness. For the Lord is a great God and a great king above all gods. Why does he use three terms for God in one verse? Because they're all different words. He's talking about different aspects of God. He is strength. He is the very essence of life. And he wants to be in covenant with us. The three things about God in that verse. Let's talk about that. I often think of um, Psalm 136, and we'll go to that. But in his hand are the deep places of the earth. The strength of the hills is his also. The sea is his. So in the ancient world, people believed that the sea was the original God. No one could control the sea. 
We still can't control the sea, right? It did what it wanted to do. That's a picture of God to them. And for the psalmist here to say, the sea is his. You know, and we see Christ calming the waves. The sea is his. God made the sea. If we look back in Genesis 1, I think it's, is it like verse 9 maybe? And God said, let the waters under the heaven be gathered together unto one place and let the dry land appear. And it was so. The sea is his. God spoke it and it did what he said. And then Christ spoke and it did what he said. That's our great God. He's greater than the sea. He's greater than any of the gods that anybody has created in all the generations before us. All the small g gods. <clears throat> in revival, let's not make it about us. Let's make it about God. God is great. Psalm 136 if you want an easy chapter to memorize, memorize Psalm 136. Because if you get this phrase, oh, give thanks unto the Lord, for he is good, for his mercy endureth forever. If you get that phrase, for his mercy endureth forever, you got half the chapter. But as we go down through here, he talks about his creation. He doeth great wonders. By wisdom he made the heavens. He stretched out the earth. He made the sun and the moon. And then he saved his people out of Egypt and brought them out through the Red Sea and into his land, gave them a great land, um, conquered all the kings that were there. And we come to the end of the chapter. And hath redeemed us from our enemies. He gives food to all flesh, to all people. Oh, give thanks unto the God of heaven. If we need a reminder of the greatness of our God and how he has worked in the past, Go to Psalm 136. If you need a reminder, you can also sit with God's people and ask for stories, right? So we can be telling stories one to another. This is how great our God is. <clears throat> so come, gather together, and talk about God's greatness. Then in verse 6 of Psalm 95, O come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our Maker. We are to bow before God. Bowing before a king was to say, I'm ready to serve you. You are the king, and I am not. <clears throat> Exodus 20, verse 5. I know that Exodus 20 is the giving of the law. In verse 5, Thou shalt not bow down thyself to them, nor serve them, any other graven image that you can make is what he's talking about. For I, the Lord thy God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children unto the third and fourth generation of them that hate me, and showing mercy unto thousands of them that love me and keep my commandments. But here he's saying, bow down to me. Don't bow down to anything that you make, that you set up. You know, maybe my job. My job gives me money so I can buy the things that I want. Am I going to bow down to my job? We have that option, right? Don't bow down to anything else except to God. Come, let us worship and bow down before the Lord our maker. He has made us. So the third ingredient is bowing down to God. 
And then verse 7, the first part of the verse. For he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. He is our God. That word for. So he said all this, you know, verses 1 through 6, and they, they said for. He is our God. I think that speaks to understanding why. Why are we doing this? Why would I gather together with other believers? Why would I talk of God's greatness? Why would I bow down before him? For he is our God. He's the one that made us. <clears throat> we are his peop the people of his pasture. What does pasture speak of? Pasture is a place that's been cared for. It's been prepared. Um, we see that in, through the Psalms. David uses this picture. But, and we are likened to a garden, too. God is, um, has a place prepared for his people. We are not orphans. We are not just thrown out in the wilderness of Wyoming to survive on our own. God has a pasture, a place of sustenance, of food. And we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. God is personal and present. He is not distant and uncaring. When we go through trials, we, we have the decision to make. Is God just distant and doesn't care about me? Or is he personal and is he present? This verse is saying, he is our shepherd. We are the sheep of his hand. Let's not take him for God for granted. He does care. You know, when, if you write a book, when an author writes a book, what does he have in his mind? What does he want to see happen with that book? Let's, what's that? He wants it to get read. So if his target audience is a five-year-old, the book's going to look a little different than if his target audience is a 25-year-old. But that author is going to get joy if he sees a five-year-old sitting there just looking at all the pictures in his book and just enjoying it, right? God didn't write this book just so that he could, for, the, for his own enjoyment. God wrote this book so that his target audience would have it and read it and grow by it and get to know him. God had, a, had us in mind when he wrote this book. Just like every author has to decide, what am I writing this book for? Who am I writing it to? God made this message just for us. He is our God and we are his sheep. <clears throat> Let's not take that for granted. He cares for all people. I want to read some verses in Ephesians 2. One through ten. And you hath he quickened, who were dead in trespasses and sins, wherein in time past ye walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh, and the children of disobedience, among whom also... We all had our conversation in times past in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. But God, who is rich in mercy, for his great love wherewith he loved us, 
even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ. By grace ye are saved, and hath raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Thinking back on Jared's talk about being in Christ, here we see that, getting stressed in heavenly places, in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. For by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. Understanding the why leads to revival. <clears throat> we are captured by God's love, driven by purpose. We are captured by love, driven by purpose. I think we see that in this passage here. Captured by God's love, by his grace, saved by faith, so that we walk in his ways. He has created a work for us to walk in. What a wonderful thing to be captured by love and to have a purpose. Back to Psalm 95, the next phrase in verse 7, today, if ye will hear his voice. The fifth ingredient is hearing God's voice and knowing his ways. In verse, in verse 10, one of God's Complaints against them as they have not known my ways. Today, if you will hear my voice, and within that is, I hear that echo of, know my ways. What are God's ways? What is it like to walk on his journey with him? I am on a journey with God. Revival will not come if I am not on a journey with God. <clears throat> I have a, God said, your father saw my works. They saw how I responded. I took care of them in the desert for 40 years. And what did they do? They just walked away as if it didn't matter. All of us have had access to the Bible, our parents have taught us, and do we just wander away? It doesn't matter. <clears throat> and they have not known my ways. They are not walking with me on a journey. Will I stay on the path with God? I thought of a story that I don't really want to tell, but when I was in high school, I dated a, a young lady for a while right before our family moved. And then we moved back to Canada. And you know what happened? I forgot about her. I just wandered away. How do you do that? I look back on that with embarrassment. I've told my children, and they bring it up every once in a while. And I was like, that is an embarrassing story in my life. And, but that's what the children of Israel did to God. They got into the promised land and they forgot about him. Something changed, and they forgot about him. They just wandered away. <clears throat> I 
We have not arrived. Will I stay on this path with God? We are on a path. We are not at a destination. Will I stay on this path with God? You know, we look at... Revival and our own hearts are so fickle. How, how do I do this? Thinking back to Ephesians, that passage I just read, of all that Christ did for us and made for us. Next month, we're planning to fly to New York and visit my parents. Now, I don't have to buy that plane. I'm going to go to Denver. I'm going to get on a plane. I don't have to buy that plane. I didn't even have to design that airplane. I don't have to fill it with fuel. I don't have to start the engine. I don't have to run the controls. I don't even set the course of that plane. And when we get there, I don't have to land that plane. I don't even have to avoid all the other airplanes. And I think, you know, this is, this is how it is in my journey with Christ, right? What did I have to do? Well, I had to buy a ticket, right? I had to say that I'm coming. I had to show up at the gate. I have to listen to the flight crew and the captain. I have to. I get to rest in my seat the whole way there. This is southwest, so it might be okay. I'm not sure. But I get to rest in my seat. I get to enjoy the trip with others. Now, if you look at some of the videos that come out of plane rides, that enjoyment can be rather interesting sometimes, right? But think about our trip together. Our enjoyment of each other kind of comes and goes sometimes, right? But really, in the big picture, it shouldn't be that big of a problem. Um, because this is for a short time, right? I've got, well, we have a layover in, in Houston or Dallas. I don't remember. Somewhere in Texas. We've got a layover. So probably six hours later, we get there. So no matter, if I've got someone sitting beside me that I really am not enjoying, it's only for six hours, right? Or it's only for an hour and a half to, to there, maybe. And then another few hours over to New York. But it's not really that long. The things on this journey, when we get to glory and look back, we're going to say, it really wasn't that long. What was the big deal? Why did I make such a big deal out of that? And I get to arrive at the destination I wanted to get to. My part seems really small in the big picture, doesn't it? It's not really that big. Are there emotions on this trip? Yeah, I mean, every time we take off, Charlotte grabs my leg. Like, what's falling apart? You know, something just clunked. And so, yeah, is there stuff that happens? But really, in the big picture, that's a pretty small deal, you know? Um, I had to think, as we are on this journey with God,
recipe for revival. Gathering together, talking of God's greatness, bowing before God, being willing, serving Him, understanding why, hearing and knowing God's ways, go, staying on that journey with Him. Let's be seeking revival. Let's put this recipe into practice. And if you have ideas how we can do it better as a group, let's talk about it. Um, Do I want God to appear and take control? Does he have full control now? I'd like to close with Ephesians 4, 1 through 6. As a challenge from Paul that I think is appropriate for speaking to us also. I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that ye walk worthy of the vocation wherewith ye are called, with all lowliness and meekness, with long-suffering, forbearing one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, even as ye are called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all, and through all, and in you all. Verse 3 there, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit, being diligent. Do it quickly. Put some exertion into it to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. When tensions come, That moment is the time to put some exertion into it. What can I be doing to keep the unity? The tense of that is present, active, plural, if you like English. Present, active, plural. It's for all of us, he's talking, all of you put exertion into this right now. Don't wait. Be diligent. Endeavor to keep the unity of the Spirit, the bond of peace. To keep, to preserve, to guard the unity. That is also present and active. Something to be doing right now. Endeavoring to keep. It is the purpose that reflects purpose. That is one of our purposes, is to seek unity. Am I seeking unity to preserve it, to guard it? Or don't I care about the words that I say? Don't I care about the things that I do? It has been convicting for me as I think about this and look back over my life. Has everything that I've done, was I diligent to preserve the unity of the spirit? No, I haven't been. This is a challenge for us. In all my actions, am I endeavoring Am I being diligent to preserve the unity of the body of Christ? Present and active. Am I willing to work that plan for change today? Today, remember in Psalm 95, today if you hear my voice, don't wander away like the Israelites did. Today. 
exert to preserve the unity. Don't focus so much on the future as on working the plan for today. What is the plan for today? I need to know the why. That's part of <clears throat> seeking revival. You know, I just think we, we still like to control these things, right? But what if I just go and work this plan, you know? I don't need to worry about the outcome, right? God has said he'll be there. This is a journey with him. Praise, praise him together with others. Um, see if I can list the five things. Praise him together with others. Um, talk of his greatness. Bow down and serve him. Understand the why. And the last one is pop quiz. I'll let you say what the last one is. <clears throat> Listen to his voice. Hear his voice. The five things. <clears throat> There's a song that's not in our book that I also thought of this week. How long has it been since you talked with the Lord and told him your heart's hidden secrets? How long since you prayed? How long since you stayed on your knees to the light shone through? I'm probably mixing a few verses here. I haven't sang it for a while, but um, how long has it been? Mosey Lister said that he wrote that song in 10 minutes. He said, out of all the songs he wrote, that was the fastest one. He said, usually I would get a passage, I would agonize through it, I would write, but he said, it was on my heart to challenge people to get closer to God. And he said, how long has it been since you prayed? How long since you knew that God cared for you? And he said the words just flowed. And I don't know how many years it was. He said there was a million copies of that, that song that sold. That song is very popular. Um, some of you might not even know that song. How many people know the song, How Long Has It Been? Okay, most of us know it. I haven't thought of that song in a long time. There is a song from Wednesday night that we learned Wednesday night. I um, would like to close with this song. Number 839, drawn to the cross which thou hast blessed with healing gifts for souls distressed to find in thee my life, my rest. Christ crucified I come. Weary of selfishness and pride, false pleasures gone, vain hopes denied, deepen thy wounds my shame to hide. Christ crucified I come. Thou knowest all my griefs and fears, thy grace abused my misspent years. Yet now to thee for cleansing tears, Christ crucified, I come. Wash me and take away each stain. Let nothing of my sin remain for cleansing, though it be through pain, Christ crucified, I come. <clears throat>